You're listening to Legion, the podcast about the devil and all his works. From obsessions to possessions, from hexes to hauntings, if it's demonic, I'm on it. I'm Susan Vigilante. Welcome to the podcast. Let me ask you something. When you hear the words witchcraft trials, what comes to mind first? I'm guessing if you're like most Americans, you think of the Salem witchcraft trials. You know, we all kind of learned about it in school. It was a 1690s handful of hysterical girls started making accusations in Salem, Massachusetts. It ended up with uh, 19 men and women being executed as witches. Many years later, the girls admitted they just made it up. And ultimately, all the accused, all the condemned were exonerated. Although the last one wasn't exonerated till 2022, something like that. Now, personally, I find the Salem witchcraft trials fascinating. I I cannot get enough of the Salem witchcraft trials. I must have half a dozen books on the subject on my bookshelves. I'm going to a wedding in Salem this spring, and I've even arranged to stay an extra day so I can go and see whatever there is to be seen in Salem about the trials. But in the long history of witchcraft trials, Salem is really just a drop in the ocean. People have been accused of witchcraft for centuries. I mean, even today in places like Nigeria and the Philippines, people are constantly being accused of witchcraft. People are constantly cursing each other. Um, in Nigeria, people you know steal. In Nigeria, people actually kidnap people for their body parts to use in witchcraft spells. So whether or not it's a real phenomenon there, I don't think that question has been answered yet at all. I think it's still very open. But I think we can conclude what we know about Salem is there was no witchcraft involved. But like I said, Salem's just a drop in the ocean. Today, I'm going to talk about the one-time world champion of witchcraft trials, the former leader in the number of people tried and executed for witchcraft. Any guesses who that might be? Okay, drum roll. Oh, no, no, not a drum roll. Uh, a bad, you need a bagpipe scroll, like a... Does that sound like a bagpipe? Probably not, but I did my best. The leader was Scotland. Between 1590 and 1662... An estimated 1,500 people were executed for the crime of witchcraft in Scotland. Witchcraft had been illegal there since 1563, but until 1590, it really wasn't a forefront type of issue. Only in 1590 did the ball really get rolling on executing accused witches in Scotland. So how did it become such a craze in 1590? Well, to answer that question, we have to go back more than a hundred years. In the 1470s, in Germany, a Dominican priest named Heinrich Kramer was made head of the Inquisition in Innsbruck, Austria. Uh, by the way, Dominicans were major players in the Inquisition. That's why uh, Dominicans became Dominicanes, hounds of the Lord. They kind of were being ribbed about it a lot. Kramer's job at Innsbruck was to bring witches to justice. 
Now, Kramer did not have the best reputation in the world. He had already run afoul of the authorities. Uh, He was denied a job on the Inquisition in Germany, for example, which is why he now found himself in Innsbruck. Once in Innsbruck, Kramer managed to land himself on everybody's bad side pretty quickly. There was a woman there named Helene Scheuberin. Helene was the wife of a prosperous burgher, so... You know, she wasn't some ignorant peasant peasant woman. She was an upper-middle-class or a middle-class woman who had some standing in society. Well, Helene took one look at Kramer, and she sized him up. Boom. She knew exactly what kind of a guy he was. She told him he was a bad monk, and she wished evil might befall him. She refused to attend his sermons. She encouraged her friends not to go to his sermons. Once, she even disrupted one of his sermons. She called him an evil man in league with the devil. I don't think she would have done this if there wasn't... (laughs) I don't think she would have done that if there wasn't a certain amount of popular opinion to back her up. I don't think anybody wanted to be the only person to call a priest an evil man in league with the devil. So I I think this was his reputation, to be honest. Well, needless to say, Kramer was annoyed. So he had Helene Scheuberin arrested and charged with witchcraft. In the course of the trial, Kramer showed an abnormal amount of interest in Helene's sex life. Now, the bishop got involved and said that Kramer had, quote, presumed much that had not been proven. Finally, the Innsbruck trials were suspended. That's how badly Kramer was botching them. And in 1486, in fact, the bishop kicked Kramer out of his diocese. Now Heinrich Kramer is furious. He's decided he's going to get even. So even though he's been kicked out of the diocese, he decides he's going to write a textbook about how you should really prosecute witches, how anyone who knew what they were doing, which is to say how he would, and he was, his was the only right way, would prosecute and punish witches. First line of his book is, they're all women, almost all women witches are women. This book became known as the Malleus Maleficarum. That's usually translated as the Hammer of Witches. It was published in 1486, and it included a page giving a kind of papal approval to the book. Plenty of scholars think that Kramer forged that. It's very hard to uh, believe that a guy whose bishop kicked him out of the archdiocese Oh, oh, by the way, the bishop didn't stop there. The bishop called him a uh, senile and a fool. So it's hard to believe anybody with that much bad blood between himself and his bishop could possibly have gotten papal approval for, the, for his book. It was never an official church book. Its approval is in doubt. Its author's reputation is in shreds. It was also condemned by the top theologians at the University of Cologne. So, you know, how it survived really is something of a mystery. 38 years later, the name of a second author was added to the Malleus Maleficarum. Jacob Sprengler was added as an author. A lot of authors think that that was a crock, too, that Jacob just kind of stuck his name on it because the book was becoming kind of notorious and he wanted in on the action. Anyway, despite not being an official church text, or even having a very sound pedigree, the book lived on. Now fast forward to 1590. 
1590, young King James VI of Scotland was looking for a wife. He chose a young Danish princess named Princess Anne. He had never met her. He'd only seen her picture. But the second he saw that picture, he fell head over heels in love. He had to have this girl. She was only 14, but he was nuts about her. So the engagement is arranged. Anne and James were married by proxy. She was in Copenhagen. He was in Edinburgh. Anne was supposed to sail from Copenhagen to Scotland to be with her new husband. But a storm blew up and forced her to seek safe harbor in Oslo in Norway. Well, James got fed up with waiting for his wife, so he got on a ship and he sailed to Norway to claim his bride. The two of them returned to Denmark and they stayed there for around a year. While he was in Copenhagen, James became very interested in the subject of witchcraft. He may have gotten hold of a copy of the Malleus Maleficarum there. I I don't know. Um, Germany and Scandinavia always seem to be kind of close culturally to me. So there may have been copies there for him to read. Anyway, James became so fascinated with the subject that he wrote a textbook of his own. He called it Demonology. Meanwhile, the two men who were ultimately responsible for getting Anne to Edinburgh and had failed, an admiral and the minister of finance, were being investigated. The admiral responsible for the failure blamed the failed mission on witchcraft. He said the whole disaster was due to a woman named Anna Coldings. Now, Anna was not some poor, powerless old peasant woman. She was the wife of a rich Copenhagen burgher. So her standing in society was fairly high. She wasn't any outcast. But the admiral insisted, no, she's the one, she's the one who destroyed the whole thing. And I know how she did it. She sent little tiny devils across the water in little tiny wheelbarrows. And when they got to the ship, they climbed up the keels of the fleet and they caused the storm. So these little teeny weeny devils are sailing around little teeny wheelbarrows and, uh, climbing up the keels of these huge ships with their teeny-weeny feet and causing a storm that wrecks the fleet. Well, wealthy burgers, wife or no, Anna was burned at the stake in September 1590. And so was another prominent citizen, the wife of a burgermeister, plus 10 other women, all burned at the stake, all for witchcraft, all because of the disaster of the fleet that was supposed to take Princess Anne to be with her new husband, King James VI of Scotland. Thus began the great Scottish witch craze. Before the Scottish witch craze was over, there would be five nationwide hunts in Scotland. They would start in 1590, and they would not end until 1662. In 1590, the North Berwick trials began. These trials were personal. This was the king trying to find out who else could possibly have tried to harm him and his new bride as they tried to sail from Denmark to Scotland. Over 70 people were accused and tried, including a nobleman, a man named Francis Stewart, who was the fifth Earl of Bothwell. He was found guilty. Now, It probably did not help his case that he was a notorious conspirator against the king and an enemy of of the king. 
He was not executed. He managed to escape and he ended his life in poverty in Italy. He was exiled to Italy and he could never come home. A hundred witches were accused in North Berwick. All of them confessed, all of them under torture. There were many different creative ways that questioners had of torturing the accused. The chief one seems to be sleep deprivation. The accused people would be kept awake for days at a time, maybe standing up, maybe chained to a wall, maybe chained to a wall by the neck so they couldn't possibly fall down. They wouldn't sleep for days and their muscles would be totally exhausted. Now think about sleep deprivation for a minute. What's the most famous thing that sleep deprivation causes? It causes hallucinations. When these people confess to having an army of imps at their beck and call, they probably sounded pretty convincing because they might actually have been seeing armies of imps in the cell with them. And that's a hallucination. Another form of torture was thumbscrews. That was used on a schoolmaster named Dr. John Flan. Uh, he was also given something called the boot, which is a device that crushes the legs, the bones in the legs. One woman named Agnes Sampson, who was a respectable elderly woman, was chained to the wall with a scold's bridle around her neck so she couldn't sit or collapse. Uh, her body hair was shaved, her head was shaved, she's chained to the wall, and she eventually confessed to going to a witch's Sabbath with 200 other witches. Poor thing, she was out of her mind, she would have said anything at that point. The next round of witchcraft trials occurred in 1597, uh, between March and October. At this time, there's tremendous tension between the king and the Presbyterian church, so his authority is being questioned and he's not comfortable. So why not have another round of witchcraft trials, right? You know, why not try to show people who's boss that way? The sad thing is we don't have too many records about the 1597 trials. We have records that suggest over 400 people were tried and that perhaps 200 were executed. But that, that's about it. That's about the state of the records. A lot of these trials were scattered across the country. Different places had different rules for keeping records. They, there was no uniformity, so we just don't have the records, which is really kind of a tragedy. There were two more rounds of witchcraft trials driven by, who knows, the king's insecurity, someone's hysteria, people's fear, who knows. We don't know how many people were executed. There are lots of different estimates. Some people say maybe 2,000 people were executed, and almost all of them were women. We know that 13 women were executed in uh, 1628, in July and August of 1628, for example. And like I said before, Heinrich Kramer said in his Malleus Maleficarum, oh, they're all, they're all women. Witches are all women. Yeah. Meantime, he's sexually getting up to no good with some poor woman who's on trial. This guy was a sick old loser. The Witchcraft Act was passed in 1563 in Scotland. It was repealed in 1736. There are small memorials dotted all over Scotland to the executed men and women who were accused of being witches, like a stone here, a fountain there, things like that. There are a few people who are trying to collect the money for a national memorial to the victims of the witchcraft trials in Scotland. They haven't got it together yet, but they are trying very hard, and I think that's kind of a decent thing for them to do. I know this episode is a little off topic for 
for Legion. Um, it's not directly about the devil, and it's not directly about Satan. But you can kind of see, I mean, I can certainly see Satan's hand in all this, starting, starting with the guy who wrote Malleus Maleficarum, starting with that man. And think of all the hatred there must have been in that society for, for women, particularly, to do this. Who could do this? to some poor girl who could put thumbscrews on a girl who could who could shave her body and nail her to a wall and then burn her at the stake now in scotland it was usually the, the custom to strangle women first and then burn them which was you know very chivalrous when you think about it guys were usually just burned but since almost all of them are women it doesn't really make a heck of a lot of difference so what's it all mean i don't want to sound like i'm being a wimp or anything but I think the strain of misogyny in the world is so strong that it is at least part of the force behind things like this. It's incredible the things people will believe about women that they would never believe about men, or at least almost never believe about men. Now, why is that? Now, obviously, all hatred comes from Satan. But misogyny, hatred for women just because they're women, that's something special. And I think it comes from Satan in a very particular way. I'm even going to ask Google what Google thinks here. Hey, Google, why did Lucifer rebel against God? According to Wikipedia, commentators have attributed Satan's rebellion to a number of motives, all of which stem from his great pride. These motives include a refusal to bow down to mankind on the occasion of the creation of man, as in the Armenian, Georgian, and Latin versions of the life of Adam and Eve. So Satan was not going to bow down to man, at least according to Google. And when God became a man to whom Satan would have to bow down, he must have lost his mind. In fact, he did lose his mind. He rebelled against God. He had a battle with two-thirds of the angels, and he lost. He ended up in hell, master of his own hell. So according to Google... According to Grand High Google, Satan rebelled because he refused to bow down to man. But when God himself became a man, to whom Satan would have to bow down, that was it. That was Satan losing his mind. That was Satan leading a war. That was Satan ending up in hell and being miserable for all eternity. Because God became the thing he would never bow down to. Now ask yourself, who made that possible? Who made it physically possible for God to become a man? I'll give you a hint. It wasn't a man. It was a woman. It was the Virgin Mary. It was the Virgin And who does Satan hate more than any human being who was ever born? Ask any exorcist and they'll tell you. It's the Virgin Mary. And I believe that Satan's hatred of the Virgin Mary is the foundation for all misogyny. Satan hates the Virgin Mary. By extension, he hates women. And misogyny was born and lives on with us. Misogyny was the basis of the witchcraft trials. It's what led to the persecution and execution of thousands of women. So, I guess this episode of Legion wasn't really off topic after all. It was all about yet another one of Satan's despicable acts against me. 
My sources for this episode of Legion include the thehistoryjar.com, the Encyclopedia Britannica, Malleus Maleficarum, the National Museums of Scotland, Everlove and Wikipedia, and thescotsman.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of Legion, the podcast about the devil and all his works. I hope you'll join me again next time. I'm Susan Vigilante, and remember, the devil's first trick is to convince you he doesn't exist. <laughs>